But switching gears, moving back into the book of James, in case you kind of are new or maybe you haven't been around the last few weeks, uh, again, we've been walking through the book of James for the last three months, and we're wrapping it up, not this week, but next week. But James uh, is the brother of Jesus, and so we've been taking the words that he spoke about and the instructions that he gave to the church in Jerusalem, and we've been, been kind of slowly walking through them. Uh, the deal with James is that the book tends to be a, a good old punch in the gut, all right? James just, he lays it out there, he says the truth, whether you like it or not, and, uh, you know, it's your responsibility how you respond to it, <laughs> okay? And so we've been um, humbly receiving his words, and today is, is not going to disappoint, all right? Today is really all about how faith, true faith, heeds warnings. Now, last week we talked about how we are to live a, a life of humility, and really, he, he leaned into that, how God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And here, he sort of lays out what it looks like to live a life of humility. What it looks like to actually live out what we talked about last week. So today, though, he, he warns us. James likes warnings. Uh, I, I like warnings. I, I especially, I like warnings when it comes to my, my, my car. You know, that, that it's nice to have warnings on the dashboard to let you know that your oil is about to go out. Because I never look at the speedometer. Who actually counts the miles anymore, right? You, know, you don't do that. You, you wait for your engine light to come on or for the thing to say, you know, you've got 5% oil life left, right? But that helps you to know, hey, there's danger coming. If you don't, pull, you know, go to the, get your oil changed, something's going to explode. I had a buddy one time. Um, he was, we were in youth together. He was on the youth band. And, and one day he was super late for something. And we were like, man, where, where are you at? He finally got there. You know, we, I don't, none of us had like cell phones back then. But anyway, uh, he shows up and uh, he got dropped off or something. Anyway, he had like an old Honda Accord, like an old one. And uh, he literally, <clears throat> he, has no, he had no clue when the last time he changed the oil was. But literally he's driving down the road and boom, his engine just blew up bone dry. <laughs> no oil, you know. It's like, you know you got to change the oil, man. Well, nowadays we got like, you know, we got stuff all over the place telling us what's up. We need warnings or our engines might blow, you know. So, so today is like you might need to look at the dashboard of your life and see what's up based upon what James uh, talks to us about today. But James has already warned us about the power of words and here he continues this warning. And so we're going to jump into verse 11 of chapter 4. Uh, and again, it's, it's warning against uh, about, about speaking, the way that we speak, and also judging people, right? So the first, this is how he starts out. Do not speak. We'll just stop there. Bow your heads, everyone. Let's <laughs> just bow our heads and close our eyes. Do not speak. Honestly, I think if we just went ahead and threw those three words out there, uh, most of the drama in all of our lives and in our nation would probably cease, <clears throat> just to be real with you. But he goes on. He goes on. I digress. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Talking to the church. Do not speak evil against one another. Whenever he says this, he's talking about gossiping and slander. Things that we all love whenever people do that to us, don't we? How many of you, you just love to find out what people have been saying about you? Come on. Yeah. You, oh, you do. Is that because you like to... Repay a little bit. You like to, I, like, I like to know what people have been saying about me because I got a little something I want to say back, you know. <laughs> no, of course, you don't, like, you don't really, really like to know that people have been slandering you or gossiping or speaking evil against you. 
whether it be directly or indirectly, you know, the old, um, how about the old, I have a prayer request thing. I have something you really, I just really, my small group, I just really, I need prayer for something. And uh, it has to do with so-and-so and so-and-so. And And I'm not going to say what happened, but I'm going to say what happened. Um, (laughs) Right? The old prayer request. What's another word for, for some of the things that we do that sound like that? Gossip. Slander. Tilting the story to suit our perspective. Speaking evil against people. Proverbs actually says a person that gossips or slanders uh, is an untrustworthy person. So if, if you're a person who speaks about things that you're not a part of the problem or a part of the solution, right? If you're not a part and you, and you speak about it and you, you stir up the silt of that conversation, that situation, the Bible says that you're not a trustworthy person. You just kind of chew on that for a second, Right? We need, we need to be trustworthy, but there's people in the church that James is talking to here that are untrustworthy, that are tearing one another down, that are speaking evil against one another. And you'd say, man, I, as Christians, that surely that doesn't happen. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think it's equally as bad in the church as it is in the world. We just might not cuss as much whenever we talk about them. You know what I'm saying? It happens. And we must be very, very aware of how we approach situations, how we speak about situations. All of us. We never graduate out of not having to deal with the old stinking thinking and where we fall into gossip and slander. But here James says, don't do it. The second part of the verse, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. If you speak against a brother or you judge him, you are speaking evil against the law and judging the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? He says, if you speak evil against someone... Not only are you putting yourself in the place of the judge of that person by speaking evil against them, but you are also putting yourself in in, as the judge, but you are also breaking the law at the same time. So the very law that you're saying that they broke, you are breaking yourself, right? It's a a double negative that doesn't equal a positive, okay? It's It's a negative situation. But this thing of judging... This word judge is used so much in our culture. Don't judge me. You know, if you say something to somebody that kind of disagrees with them, there's this rebuttal of you're judging me. And I think it's important that we really define the word a little bit clearer because judging has multiple, uh, it's like a multifaceted word. Judging could mean just to decide something, right? It could be to come to a conclusion. Or it could mean to condemn someone. In a negative sense. So there's this neutral sense and then there's this negative sense. And, and nine times out of ten when somebody says don't judge me, they're, they're, they think that someone is condemning them whenever that's not really always the case. We're supposed to judge things all the time. We're supposed to come to conclusions in our life. All the, many of you on the way here today, you made some judgment calls about the driver that was in front of you that was going 30 in a 35. 
He came to conclusions about their, their intentions and their ability and their capacity and their intelligence, right? You came to some conclusions about that person. You made some judgment calls, if you will, about them. But we make judgment calls all the time. And you know, as Christians, we actually are supposed to be, uh, we are supposed to judge certain things. We are supposed to have discernment and to weigh truth and, and, and falsehood and, 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 and make decisions and judge things. And sometimes we're, we're to label things as inaccurate and false and unbiblical. And sometimes people take that disagreement as, as condemning someone, and it's not. It's not. You can have complete love in your heart for someone or a group of people and at the same time be completely opposed to their, their thinking or the way that they're living their life. Absolutely. Uh, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Many people don't know Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else. Jesus was, he was a loving, loving person, right? Uh, but he was also a very, very straightforward person. He was a friend of sinners, but the sinners knew what he stood for, you know? So, so there's this thing of don't judge me, and even in the church, it's like, you know, if somebody's living a lifestyle that's not biblical, and, and someone who loves them comes to them and confronts them in a loving way, many times the response is, yeah, they're just a bunch of judgmental people. Yeah, that person, they judged me. They judged me, and it's like, no, man, we were just like lovingly wanting to help you, and, 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 and here's what the word says, and, and this is going to lead to this. Man, if you believe that the enemy is deceptive and that the enemy has a plan for your life and that plan can lead to destruction, then how wonderful is it when someone who loves you comes to you and, and lets you know about that, reminds you about the goodness of God and how he's, he's wanting to draw you out of darkness and into light. It's a loving thing. It's not judgmental. It's not condemning. It's loving. It's why later on in, in chapter 5, James talks about, um, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, whenever it says someone brings him back, how do you think that that starts it starts with a conversation. Hey, you remember this truth that we've lived by, this truth that we believe in. You're not living like that anymore. You're not believing that anymore. And, and this is the truth that we want. I want to bring you back to. Stop judging me. What if my kid's about to run out in the road? And I'm like, baby, no, come back. And she's like, don't judge me. And she walks right into traffic, right? I mean, some people, that's, they don't view it that way. They view it as let go of me. No, I'm not going to let go of you. I love you. And I'm going to be honest with you. But see, we twist words, and, and then all of a sudden we look at those who love us, and we look at them like they hate us, and they don't. But we have to be humble in our response to them. The word is admonish. The Bible tells us to admonish one another, to instruct, to correct to literally engage in uncomfortable conversations with each other in order to keep ourselves grounded in truth and, and living a holy life. We hate confrontation. Most people hate confrontation. I hate confrontation. I was just reading uh, something last night, and uh, it's a sort of a, a philosopher nowadays, and he's very, very controversial. He says what a lot of us want to say, but we don't because we don't want to get canceled, right? He says it. 
And in it, he said, I hate controversy. I, despise, I hate the process of it. I hate with the conversations that come out of it. He said, it's very stressful. I hate what, you know, what goes on in my mind whenever I try to go to sleep. You know how it is? All of those things. But he said, I must do it. Because controversy and saying these things, it actually, like we need it. Did you know that you actually need people to admonish you? That you need a brother and a sister in Christ to, be, to love you enough to say, you're not living right, man. You just, you're not thinking right. But you have to receive it humbly. You have to actually be able to say, I might be wrong about this one. At the very least, I might be wrong. Because if we're supposed to admonish one another, then we have to understand that not only are, am, am I or you are going to be doing the admonishing at times, but you're also going to be receiving it at times. And in order for this to operate like a family, come on, there has to be humility in these conversations. Amen, amen, amen. Man. I know what y'all are doing. Y'all are thinking about it. He goes on, gives us a warning about allowing arrogance to give us false confidence. Verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That doesn't really go well with our humanistic culture. You're a mist. I am not a mist. I am a god. Anyway. Um, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Sometimes we say things with such confidence. We make our plans, right? We have our, our five-year plan. We have our 10-year plan. I've always been terrible with those. I have like a five-day plan. That's kind of, that's kind of, <laughs> that's how I live my life. <laughs> a little bit better than that, but, but honestly, <laughs> too far from that. Um, Friday at like 4.30, I text my wife. I was like, hey, babe. We got plans tonight? <laughs> She's like, nope. I'm like, let's do something. She's like, it's a little late. Within a couple of hours, though, we will have with some friends at a restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Like, da, 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 make it happen. It's fine, right? That's kind of spontaneous. She's not here today. She's watching a line, so I can say a couple things without her glaring at me. But she wants spontaneity, right? It's be spontaneous. And when it's spontaneous, it's not that it's exciting. So I don't know. I can't figure it out. But... Coming up on 15 years of marriage, so we're figuring it out. We're doing well. So, but this thing of living life, just, just like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. As a Christian, uh, if we live life that way, it can become arrogant if we don't have this thing in us that actually really, like a posture that says, God, if it's your will, I will do this. I have plans. The Bible talks, talks about how the Lord directs our steps. We make plans. God directs our steps. And what can happen is in this arrogance, we begin to put expectations on God about what he's supposed to do. And God never even made any promises about that. See, it comes down to is it our will or the Lord's will? Are we living by our will or the Lord's will? And so now I think that we should have plans in our life. I think it's great to have vision. Don't get me wrong in all of that. But I do believe that there is a posture in our, in our heart and in our, in our lives that, that we are aware of as Christians 
I'm going to plan this, but God, and this might be just you and him, but God, Lord, if this isn't you, if this isn't right, God, I am totally surrendered to your will. I'm not going to force this. I'm not going to force this to happen. Some of you might, might say, God, open doors that only you can open, closed doors that only you, that you can shut. And I believe there's a, a good surrender, a mindset of surrender in that. But we can be arrogant. We can be boastful. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And sometimes whenever the thing that we say we're going to do doesn't line up maybe with what God's will, we're like, well, God, you need to change your will. <laughs> you need to adjust your will, Lord, because it's not a good will. Not a good will. But there's a place of brokenness that we must live in. But James sums up these instructions with this statement in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The things that he just spoke about, if you, if you keep slandering and gossiping, if you, if you keep living an arrogant life, a life that says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do no matter what God says, or I'm, like I'm doing this thing. If you continue to live a life like that, it's sin. You are knowingly living a life that is, is missing the mark. And because God has called us to live a life of obedience. And God has called us to live a life of obedience in the big things, but also in the little things. And I think some of us, maybe we do decent in the big things. We don't murder. All right? That's like, I mean, it's like the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> I haven't murdered anyone. You know, is that, is that like the standard of holiness? Like, you know, I'm not in jail, am I? You know, I don't know. It's like, well, I think there's a few other things in that. I was talking to a couple of people this past week about this subject, and, and one of them said that God convicted him. Uh, isn't to be, like, this isn't actually a standard of holiness for you to adopt into your life. So don't be like, should I also think the same thing? No. But for him, it was caffeine. He got convicted about how much caffeine he was consuming. And it like, not only like convicted like, oh, Lord, I've sinned. Not like that. Just like, hey, lay off caffeine. And it was like the Holy Spirit speaking to him about caffeine. I never heard that from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know about you. I ain't ever heard that. <laughs> and I would say, Lord, that's not your will. You know? <laughs> you know? No, 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 no. Although, if you know my story right now, the doctor said no, and I did listen to him. Actually, I'm going to be honest. This will just take 30 seconds. I, um, I went to the doctor. I have some vocal cord issues and stuff, and so he, he gave me some antiacids and stuff. said, you know, this is the first thing that they're going to do is to test to see if there's any, like, ref reflux or whatever happening. And he said, by the way, uh, no chocolate, no mint-flavored stuff, and no caffeine. Well, Honestly, guys, every single snack that I've had since I was, like, 12 is one of those. Like, it's either caffeinated, it's chocolate, or it's mint-flavored something. And I'm like, dude, well, maybe that's what's wrong with my voice, you know, it's just because that's my snacks. But anyway, no caffeine. So uh, I did good for about three weeks, and then I was like, oh, a little coffee here or there, a little bit. And uh, after a month, I went back to the doctor. <laughs> you know, every now and then, we need to, we need to get humbled sometimes, y'all. You know, right? I sit down. And the, the nurse comes in. She's like, okay, so have you had any caffeine? I was like, yeah. yeah. I mean, but not, not a lot. She's like, you had caffeine. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, dude, if you would have seen the scowl on her face, she was so disappointed in me. I felt, like, attacked. You know what I'm saying? 
I like, I st- I'm not gonna lie. I started sweating a little bit. I was nervous. Like, I was getting third degree. The doctor came in. He let me have it, man. I was like, okay, okay. No caffeine. So I wasn't convicted by the Holy Spirit, but I was definitely convicted by the doctor, you know. But God, seriously, God might, might put something on you and say, hey, listen, for a season, I want you to lay off of this. It's a form of fasting. Some of you have fasted before. What, what is that? It's, it's literally uh, taking your physical desires and, and putting them down. Self-control. It's not just for nutritional value. Some of us could, could stand to fast a little bit. But, but there's the spiritual component as well. So not only, God, what are you telling me to do, the big things, but God, what are you speaking to me about in the little things? Because that's, that's just as powerful. He goes on, verse 5 gives a, chapter 5 gives a, a warning to the rich. And we in America love these verses. This is what he says, come now. Again, I, I do think it's important that we remember he's speaking to the church. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Oh, my goodness. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. These are very strong words from James. He's speaking to people that are showing partiality and are oppressing people who have no power and no ability to to help themselves. James' words earlier were about partiality specifically. We talked about that one of the first weeks of this series Treating somebody differently based upon their, their, whether they're rich or poor, what color they are, what they can do for you. Treating someone with less respect based upon anything else is improper. It's showing partiality. And he comes back and he confronts it again. He's sort of like, he's sort of like you know, when you're playing volleyball, you get the bump, the set, and then the kill, the spike, right? He sort of like bumped it and set it. And right here, he's coming in like over the top, you know? He's like... The way that you are treating people with your finances, the way that you are, the lack of generosity that you're showing is shameful. The partiality in your heart is being displayed through your riches. And you're actually, look, it's believed some of these people were landowners. They, they, they owned, I mean, they're just, they had money. And they weren't properly paying their wages to their employees. They were withholding things. And maybe, you know, I can just imagine, I can imagine somebody who's, who's just struggling to make it, and they, they, did, they did something in, in one of the, their, their boss's homes or whatever. They did something, and the boss comes up, and he looks, and he looks in there. Everything's perfect except one little thing. And he says, well, you get that right, I'll pay you. Knowing that that man needs that money to go feed his family that night. It's wrong. It's oppressive. And did you know that that... All of us can have the tendency or we have the propensity in our sinful nature to oppress. Some of us might not have a lot of power or a lot of money, but the little bit that we do, we can hold over someone as leverage. Did you know that you can use unforgiveness on someone as leverage? They made a mistake. 
They made a mistake, and you, you just, you just, like, no. You, you, you really hurt me, and now I'm going to hold this over your head. Did you know that that's spiritually and emotionally oppressive to someone? There's many, there's, there's many ways we can apply oppression. We see oppression happen all over the world in many different nations, in many different ways. We see it individually. We see it corporately. Oppression has been around since the beginning. And ultimately, oppression is fueled by sin. Oppression, oppressive systems are ran by oppressive people. That's, that's what does that. People. And James is coming, I mean, he, he's, just, he's just taking a rifle out, and he's just shooting this whole concept just right in the head, man. He says, I see what you're doing. He said, you're, you're literally, you're like, you're like murdering people. It's believed that people were, were literally dying of starvation and things in this time. He's like, some of the people that you're oppressing like this, you're withholding finances from, you're, you're not living generous, but you're actually, you're causing some of them to, to get sick and to die. Like, wake up. That's why he uses such strong words because it's a very strong situation that's going on. But this money and riches has something attached to it that corrupts people. I don't know what it is. Lust of the eye, pride of life. There's something attached to wanting to have more that has built into it the, the possibility of falling into sin. First Timothy says this. But those who desire to be rich, I want to pause right here. He's talking to people who desire to be rich. That has nothing to do with how much money you have in your bank account right now. The love of money, the desire to be rich in itself is the problem. That's where it happens. It's not whether you actually are successful enough to become rich. And if you have a lot of money, that doesn't mean that you're uh, that you're in sin, right? The desire to be rich. That's all of us in this room that may want to be rich, which probably is most of us. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here's the verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money. The love of money and the greed that these people were experiencing in James is why they were oppressing these people. It's why they were withholding funds. It's why they were doing what they were doing. It was greed. And you know, still today in our society, it's the same exact thing. There is a spirit of greed and envy in our nation on all accounts. What we have, we don't want someone to take, so we're not generous. What we don't have, we want to take from someone else. All of it is rooted in the desire to be rich, to have money. And it's the love of money that leads to all sorts of greed and deception and, and, and all the things that we see. Now, there's always going to be those of us who have more than another. It's always been like that. It will always be that way. But we as Christians, we're called to live a life of generosity, right? We're called to live a life with an open hand where the things that we have, we don't grab like this. We don't, we don't hold on like this. We let it happen. We just, hey, somebody comes up to you and they need 20 bucks. 
Absolutely, man. But they might take it and they might, yeah. Okay? And? We got to live with an open hand, y'all. And we can tell a lot about our life with how much we clench the dollar. You can tell a lot about your heart, a lot about your love for people. A lot about what you're willing to do for God based upon how you hold on to that money. Because, man, how we've earned money is our life, right? I mean, we spend our time and our energy. You own a business, right? You've put your blood, sweat, tears into that business. And it's like, I work to get what I have and you can't have it. And, I mean, there's a certain amount of, well, yeah, somebody shouldn't be able to take your stuff, right? But at the same time, we've just got to be careful that we don't, we don't cross the line and we get into living an ungenerous generous life. In the book of Matthew, it says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and, wherever, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think this is the big challenge for us in regards to this warning that James is giving us about the warning to the rich, which, by the way, most of America, comparatively speaking to the world, are rich. We have more than we need. We have more than we need. That's, that's the gauge. Are you, are you worried about your next meal? You have more than you need. Do you have a bed to go lay in tonight? You have more than you need. Right? We don't, that's not a good metric for, for us. But maybe we should change that metric in our mind. And then, you know what? We might be more grateful, thankful. We might be more generous. Right? If we just said, you know what, I can do without that today. And I believe that as we live a life like that, we are actually storing up treasures in heaven, which is really the thing I want to leave you with today. We store up treasures in heaven by living a life of sacrifice on earth. This is how we live our Christians. This is it. This is our mindset. This is our motive. We're motivated by Jesus. We're motivated by the gospel. We're motivated to live like Jesus. And this is his mindset. Do well in this earth. If you have a lot, that's great. Just remain generous, but also re re realize that the things that you're doing on this earth, is, it's more important what you're storing up in heaven because your heart's going to be there. Your focus, your desires are for that, not for whatever's coming around the bend because there's always going to be the next trend. There's always going to be something else. Don't live for that. Live for the kingdom. I want to pray for you. Come on, bow your heads and close your eyes. Because when it comes down to it, this conversation today, these warnings are really about lordship. Whether Jesus is our Lord, whether he's our Savior, in these scriptures we see that Jesus is the lawgiver, he's the judge, he's our provider, he's our Savior. And if Jesus is Lord of your life, then honestly, you won't have a problem submitting what you say to him. You won't have a problem submitting your plans to him. You won't have a problem submitting your wealth to him because he's your Lord. But for some of us here today, we know that based upon those things and based upon the resistance in our hearts to those things, it might be possible that, that Jesus is not Lord of your life. He might not be Lord of all that he's supposed to be Lord of. You might have, a, have allowed him to be Lord of your money, 
but not in your relationships. You might have allowed him to be Lord of, of your relationships, but, but not in your plans for the future. And today, Jesus is like, I want all of that. If I'm not Lord of all of you, then I'm, I'm Lord of none of you. So right now, let's just humble our hearts before God. Father, we, we pray that right now, God, that you would convict us. We welcome your conviction, Jesus. And right now, the, the things in our life that where we have missed the mark, where we have missed the mark, Father, right now, we just ask that you would expose those things in our heart. Come on, right now, just let this be an active moment for you. Don't just, just check your phone or, or kind of check out. But right now, just say, Lord, would you search my heart? God, where, the way that I've spoke about people, the way, that, the way that I consistently speak about people, the way that I am handling my money, God, the way that I've been planning lately, Father, whatever it is in these areas, Lord, right now, bring it to the surface. Bring it to the surface, Jesus. Search our hearts, God. Search our motives. God, we, we can't search our own motives. We need your spirit to do that. Convict your people, Lord. If you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, you're not saved, you're not born again, you've never, you've never really surrendered your heart to Jesus, you've never admitted that, that you needed him, you've never asked God to forgive you of, of sin, I've got good news. God's grace is sufficient for you. His arms are open to you. You don't have to live in the guilt and the shame and the fear that you've been living in for so long. Jesus has broken the, the power of sin. He's broken the back of death. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear what's on the other side of death. Because for believers, it's life. Life more abundantly. So if, if you're not sure today, just say these words. God, I surrender my life to you. And I pray that you forgive me of my sin. I receive the free gift of salvation. I believe in you. I trust in you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. God, I thank you today for what you've done in this room. God, that you have convicted all of us, that you have realigned our hearts with yours. Today, God, we say yes. We surrender in every area of our life. And God, I pray that this week it would be evident in our actions that you are changing us into what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look, if you're out there today and, and you said that prayer, and you really, you said, God, I surrender, I forgive me of my sin. If you really meant that prayer today, maybe it was the first time, maybe you've said it a lot, I want to talk specifically to you for just a moment. This is actually why we do what we do, this moment right here, for people to know God. We want to help you, though, to grow in Christ. We want to help you to continue this relationship. And the way that we do that here at Northwood Church, the first step is by taking this, the, the, the card in the seat pocket right there in front of you. It's a connect card. It says, what's next? And I'm going to ask you to fill out that card. And at the end of the service, I'd love for you to take it to the back of the room. We have a next steps area with a couple back there who would love to receive that. Answer any questions you have. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to reach out to you later this week. We're not going to bombard you, but we do want to. If you're serious about this, 
We're serious about it. And we believe that the body of Christ is the support system that God has, has put in place to help us minister to one another and to grow in Christ. And so please do that before you leave today. Also, I want to let you know that we have a prayer team at the front of the room every single service. And they're wonderful people, trusted people, that for any of us in this room today, if you're going through anything, if you're struggling with anything, or maybe there's something coming up in life that you really want somebody to agree with you in prayer in, I want to invite you to the front of the room at the end of this service to receive some prayer, to, to confide in someone maybe. And again, these are trusted people, wonderful people. And we believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We believe that it works. We believe that prayer, uh, if, it, if it doesn't change the heart of God, which God's heart doesn't need to be changed, I tell you what it does do, it changes our heart. It changes our heart. It changes our posture. And that's what we really need. We need our hearts submitted to Jesus. And so, so what I want you to do, stand up to your feet. And we believe in responding to what the word does in our heart. And I believe there's no greater way to respond than to sing and to worship Jesus. And so we're going to sing this, this verse and this chorus of the song again. And I want to just ask right now that you close your eyes. And that if you feel comfortable, you just lift your hands. And you just say, God, I worship you. I praise you. I lift you up in my heart and in my life. Be exalted, Jesus. Be exalted in our lives, in this church. God, would you be exalted in the way that we live our lives, Father. We live it for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's sing.